what's in a name? William Shakespeare said in Romeo and Juliet, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And we know that's true. The writer Proverbs, and you don't have to turn to all of these, you may trust me as a teacher if you would, says in chapter 22, verse 1 of Proverbs, you're welcome, Benoit, if you wish to project it for the sake of those who may not be conversed well-versed with scripture, but if not, Proverbs 22, 1, the writer says, a good name is more to be desired than riches. Now, Juliet, in Romeo and Juliet, is talking about what's the deal if my name is Taylor or Varghese or Korean or Govius, but Proverbs is talking about a good name is more to be desired, meaning the character of the individual, all that's wrapped up. If I say Pastor Ashish Raichur, you're not thinking of the pronunciation or the spelling of his name. Immediately the character of the person behind that name comes to mind. So a good name is more to be desired than all the money in this world, is what Proverbs is saying. Decades ago in the last century, two teenage brothers were having a little argument or talk and the older brother John said to the younger brother when I grow up I want to become a politician what about you? And the younger brother looked at his older brother John and said when I grow up I want to be a missionary they both fulfilled their aspirations and dreams and they both died today if you look up the world's who's who book of famous personalities check the last name Taylor of course that's my name too Taylor Hudson founder of the China Inland Mission missionary next name Taylor John politician brother of Hudson and we thought that to be a Neta or a politician was a big deal there's no Abraham Lincoln when he finally won the presidency of the United States he's one of my human heroes by the way he was interviewing people to serve in his cabinet. And one of the men he interviewed, he said, Abe Lincoln said to him, so what's your background? And he said to, the, to President Abe Lincoln, he said, I was a pastor, preacher of the gospel. And Abe Lincoln said to him, sir, I have no higher post to offer you. Go back and preach the gospel. Abe is one of my heroes. What's in a name? John the Baptist he called. The Bible says the entire city came to hear him preach and then he baptized people in the river Jordan. But at one point he saw the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees and many of them operated and behaved hypocritically. And John's ire was evoked by seeing those hypocritical leaders and he said to them, and I quote from the old King James, You generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? In the Living Bible paraphrase, Dr. Kenneth Taylor, another Taylor, says it this way, You snakes and sons of snakes. Now, I'm not encouraging you to leave here and call people names. This is the foundation and the platform for my message. John the Baptist did not mince his words, and because of that he lost his head. Most likely, many of us still have ours because we have compromised. He did not hesitate. The Lord Jesus did not hesitate to call a spade a spade. When Herod the king heard about this Jesus who was working miracles, he thought, well, let's call the latest David Copperfield into my chamber. Jadugar in Indian terms. 
Come do some magic for me. You know what Jesus' response was? He refused to go and he said, Go tell that fox I will not come. Jesus called Herod what he rightly deserved, a cunning, sly man. Tell that fox I will not come. You know, in the days of the early church, under the cruel, oppressive, iron heel of Roman tyranny, Christians were sent to the Roman amphitheaters where the Caesars and Neros, the Roman emperors watched and all of the Roman populace while hungry lions tore these Christians apart alive limb from limb. Mothers watched as their babies were first eaten by ravenous lions. All for one reason and one reason alone. It was common throughout the Roman Empire for them to say, Hail Caesar. Gladiators. Now don't tell me you've never watched the gladiators or Spartacus or some of those movies. The gladiators who were to fight to the death before they began as mortal combatants. They first turned to the big central box and said, Hail Caesar! We who are about to die salute you! And then they proceeded to kill one another. And then when one was down, they looked to the emperor for the thumbs up to live or thumbs down to kill. There was one reason and one reason alone why Christians were being eaten alive by hungry Romans, by, by hungry lions in the Roman amphitheaters. And that's because they refused to say Caesar is Lord. They would rather die confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Keep listening to me now. Today, if you're from a Christian background or you have become one, it is commonplace for us to name our sons Andrew, Peter, Simon, James, Thomas. Keep listening. And if you have a pet puppy or a dog for a gift, a very flash name for your dog is Nero or Caesar. We name our sons after the disciples of Jesus Christ and our dogs after Roman emperors. I didn't make that up, it's true. In fact, it's a pretty cool name for your dog. But before you name your sons and your daughters, you pray and let the Holy Spirit lead you into what you should name them. And today, I'm going to embark on one of the disciples. This is the foundation, what's in a name. On one of the disciples of John the Baptist. As a John the Baptist. Between our children, they would be able to name the 12 disciples of Jesus. But John the Baptist also had some disciples. I want to touch on one of the disciples of John the Baptist who later became a disciple of Jesus Christ. And there's only one of them you can prove conclusively in black and white in scripture with his name. There were at least two, but one of them the name is given. So now we've laid the foundation. One other quick thought. In the Bible, Old and New Testament, God changed certain names. Abram meaning father of elevation, was changed to Abraham, meaning father of many nations. And he has become the father of at least the Jews and the Arabs through Isaac and Ishmael. Jacob, meaning deceiver, supplanter, grabber, was changed. His name was changed from Jacob to... That's good. I'm a teacher. I like to hear you talk back to me and I'm not as bad as I look. All right? Ask Anne. She's finding that out. To prince, from deceiver, supplanter, grabber, Jacob... To Israel meaning prince because as a prince he wrestled with the angel of God. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus saw a certain man named Simon 
And he said, from henceforth I call you not Simon, but I call you Cephas or Peter. And Cephas or Peter means rock, stone, kal, patar. And on this rock I will build my church. This rock of revelation. You know what Simon means? Now don't feel bad if your name is Simon. Just, just. Simon means weed, reed, tall grass, like a reed. So every wind that comes it just sways or is blown by the wind. And some of us in, in the spirit realm have operated like Simon. Well, we're just chasing after every wind of doctrine. What's the latest, greatest fad? Who's the latest, greatest preacher? Who's the best on TV? So on and so forth. And Jesus looks at Simon and says, I change your name from wishy-washy. After chasing every single wind of doctrine to rock. Rock. Unshakable. Imagine someone you know who's unreliable, who's undependable, who's got a big mouth, who cannot be trusted to keep a secret. And that person whom you cannot rely upon, you look at him and say, you know what? You're a rock solid. I can rely on you. That would take a lot of faith. Jesus does not see us the way we often see ourselves. He sees the finished product after His Holy Spirit has been able to work in us. My friend, start to see yourself as Jesus sees you. So even Jesus changed the name in the New Testament. But obviously most names were not changed. Now there were two brothers. There were more than sets of brothers. But Simon also known as Peter, had a brother whose name was, turn with me to John chapter 1, from verse 35. Again, John 1, 35. And the next day after John, John the Baptist stood with two of his disciples. Whose disciples? John the Baptist's disciples. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples, whose disciples? Disciples of John the Baptist, heard John speak. And they left John and followed Jesus. Right? Then Jesus turned, verse 38, and saw them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said, Rabbi, which means Master, where do you live? And he, Jesus, said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and stayed with him that day. It was about the tenth hour. Verse 40. One of the two, one of the two what? Disciples of John the Baptist, who left John and followed Jesus, was Andrew. The only person you can prove in the Bible was the disciple of John the Baptist before he became a disciple of Jesus. I'm tickled pink. I think it's pretty cool. Because that's my name. Now, his blood brother from a nuclear family, same biological parents, was Simon. Jesus changes his brother's name, but does not change Andrew's name. I'm glad you're asking me why. Let me share with you what Andrew means. Strong, manly. In middle school, I remember in Bishop Cotton's, we dissected the flower longitudinally. And you see the male and female parts. The female part is gynecium, gynecologist, female. The male part is andrishim, Andre Agassi, Andrew Taylor. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew means strong, manly, man of God. Listen closely, church. Yes, I'm twice ordained in Australian America. Please don't waste your time calling me pastor, reverend, right, reverend, honorable doc. Please just call me Andrew. That's my name. More of I like my name. Every time you say Andrew, you're saying man of God. Man of God. Man of God. Now don't feel bad that your name is not Andrew. Because the moment you knelt down at the foot of the cross. And you made Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior. No matter what your name is on the outside. On the inside you have become an Andrew or an Andrea. Man of God or woman of God. And that you are when your sins have been washed by the blood of Jesus. I just get extra bonus. 
My name is literally Andrew. You know, I'm tickled with something else. It is the only Christian name in the English language. This is like Ripley's Believe It or Not. Now, you know I teach English, so believe me on this. Andrew is the only Christian name in the entire English language, which consisting of six letters, you can make three other perfect anagrams out of it. You know, an anagram, when you jumble up the letters, you make another word. So I, used to, I don't know if Ashish remembers this when I taught him English. I wrote on the chalkboard, Andrew has warned you that if you let your minds wander in the classroom, I'll send you to the warden. And then I had split it into two three-letter words. And if you think you can make this classroom a den of war, I assure you, you will be at the raw end of the deal. That's just, you may say it's facetious, but I think it's so cool. Now, <laughs> Jesus did not need, you can understand why he did not need to change Andrew's name. There's only three things in studying the entire New Testament about this, this is what's in a name. In studying the entire New Testament, I could come up with it, apart from where the disciples' names are mentioned. Where Andrew did something that was such significance that was worth recording. And I would like to walk through them with you. Already, if your fingers in John chapter 1, and we stop at verse 40, follow with me. Here is the first thing that Andrew does after he meets the Lord Jesus. Verse 40, we read, one of the two disciples of John the Baptist, left John the Baptist and followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now watch verse 41. He first finds his brother, her own brother Simon and says to him, We have found the Messiah. Now watch me. Listen to what scripture says. We talk glibly. Sometimes we even read glibly. Take the word of God literally. Now watch. He finally rushes to Peter. The first thing. He says, We have found the Messiah. And, are you watching what the scripture says? Andrew brought Peter, you are coming, boy. You come with me. He physically brought Peter to Jesus. Listen, handing a tract is fine. Witnessing to someone verbally is fine. But Andrew went the extra mile. He said, Peter, Simon, he was Simon at that point. You got to come. Stay here for a second. Actually, you know, pull that chair out. Sit on me. I don't want you to stand. I want to point something. I've got to take my glasses out. You can turn a little bit. He goes to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, we have found the Messiah. They are the two brothers. Peter is the boldest brass, tough as nails. And he is the one who walked on the water. He is the big mouth. He said, I will never. He took out the sword and chopped up the high priest's servants. Yeah, you remember all of that. Andrew was gentle, Andrew, meek and mild compared to his brother. So here's the gentler brother coming to the tougher brother. And Peter was a spokesperson. Day of Pentecost. Remember, he preached. He says, Simon, we have found the Messiah. You know what? Let me ask you a question. Which is the hardest place in the world to be a witness for Jesus? Among your own family. This is his own family. You know, we Pentecostals know Isaiah 53 very well. For by his stripes we were healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. But you know what verse 1 says? Don't turn to it. Trust me as a teacher. Isaiah 53 1 says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, why don't people listen to us? Why isn't the arm of the Lord, the power of God being manifest? Andrew comes to say, I found the Messiah. He looks at his brother. You know, there's, there's something about the eyes. The eyes are a window to the soul. He believes his brother. Who 
has believed our report. Simon believed Andrew's report. I'll tell you why our family have such a hard time listening to us and receiving the gospel from us. Telling means you don't have any leg to stand on. I'm not asking. Because they know exactly all the gold mal we used to be up to. For those who don't know gold mal, it means all the humbug and the trickery we were up to before we became Christians. So they find it very hard. They say, you of all people don't talk to me about Jesus. I don't want to hear it from you. And so Peter knew his brother. Simon knew Andrew. But he would have known. Andrew is a real man of God. And he believed Andrew's report. You know, it's very hard to look into someone's eyes and tell a barefaced lie. You know, when your kid's done something wrong, you know what we parents will often say? Look at me. Because you know, that's how I didn't tell a lie. But look in the face is very difficult. But there are some professional liars like one former American president looked into the TV cameras on CNN and said, I had nothing to do with that woman. You understand why I don't vote for those kind of presidents and that party. I hope you're listening next time. Andrew's eyes showed a clear soul and Simon believed him. The first thing Andrew did was to bring his brother Simon to Jesus. Thank you, my brother. The second thing in Andrew's life is of any significance. Same, same book. Let's move forward in linear motion. Chapter 6. John's Gospel, chapter 6. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, but I'm focusing on Andrew, not the miracle. We know about the miracle. Chapter 6 of John's Gospel, verse 5. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come to him, and he said to Philip, By the way, just tender a thought, but don't make it a theory and a doctrine. I have a hunch. You remember there were two disciples of John the Baptist that left John? I have a hunch that the other guy was Philip. But I can't prove it to you, so don't get into speculation. The reason I say that is whenever you saw Andrew, Philip was hanging around. Or Philip, Andrew was around. They're good buddies. Say now. Jesus lifted up his eyes. He saw a great company, a multitude come, and he said to Philip, Where can we buy bread that these people may eat? Now watch verse 6. And Jesus said this to prove or to test or to check out Philip because he, Jesus himself knew what he would do. My friend, don't ever think you can surprise Jesus Christ. I teach. This is an original. All deception is bad, but self-deception is the worst. And the scripture says, be not deceived. God is not it's only our own pompous attitude and our pride that causes us to believe that we have one up on God to think such a foolish thing. Jesus already knows what he's going to do. You know, at Crusades, when I was a kid in the same city, they would sing, Christ is the answer to all my problems. That is so right on the money. Jesus just doesn't have the answer. He is the answer. Outside of him there is none. Now, Jesus says, come on, Phil. Let's feed the people. Phil says, watch his exact words. Let me read it for you. Philip says, verse 7. Philip answered him and said, 200 penny worth of bread is not. 200 penny worth of bread is approximately 8 months salary. Lord, you've got to be kidding. 8 months tumblum salary. Is not enough for them to even have a letter. His exact words are, eight months salary is not. Those are the words in the old King James. Is not. Is not. Talk with me. Talk to me. Who is speaking here? Philip. 
Is he an unbeliever or a believer? Does he have a certain... He is one of the twelve what? That's like saying it's an elder in the church telling the pastor, no way Jose, you can't do it. Philip looking at Jesus. It's not... Lord, come on, get a grip. Eight months paycheck is not, is not, is not. Now what's the next verse? One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, verse 9, There is, there is, there is, is not, there is, on the same church board. You can have two elders, two leaders, two assistants, one of them speaking negativity, and one of them trusting in the provision of God. The same church board. I'm not talking about non-Christians. I'm talking about people who knew Jesus. Who walked and talked with him. I like to put it this way. By the way, I'm not a pastor. I'm a teacher. A pastor's job is primarily to comfort the afflicted. A teacher's job is primarily to afflict the comfortable. So may I keep teaching? Don't worry. You won't take me 52 weeks. It's once in a while. You have to recover the next I believe there's only basically two kinds of people in the church. Those who mouth negativity and those, what did Andrew say? There is, there is, there is a lad here with his lunch of five loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? In other words, Lord, I know it's very little, but at least there's something here. Can you do something with it? So here's the two kinds of people. Question, was Jesus talking? Who was Jesus? Who did Jesus ask the question of? Who did Jesus speak to? Philip. He wasn't speaking to Andrew. For all we know, Jesus may be looking at Philip this way, Andrew may be there or behind him. I don't know. But he asked the question of Philip. He didn't even ask Andrew the question, but Andrew heard. And he was moved into action. There's no young kid here. Young kid here. All the young people are out, is it? Just somebody. Young lady, just bring your Bible. That's like, yeah, just bring your Bible this side. Let's imagine, we assume that that lad was like 10, 12 years old. Most people assume that. He probably bunked school, unless it was a weekend, you know, at that miracle. So let's imagine this is a young person. I know you're not 12 years old. And this is the lunch. Listen to what Andrew says. And I'm going to read it verbatim from the old King James. He says, Come here. He says to the Lord, there is, he didn't say, here's a young boy's lunch. Are you with me? He said, there is a lad here with their lunch. I ask you, stay here, stay here, young lady. How much, moms, how much does your kid's lunch cost you? 100 rupees? 200? I don't know. I'm kind of out of the loop. Someone tell me, Sheila, tell me approximately how much will it cost to put your kid's lunch for school? 50 rupees. Are Bapre, just $1. Okay. Say 100. Let's be generous. 100 rupees. All right. That's all this kid had. 100 rupees, come here. They, they cannot see you from that side. 150, 100, say 75. Compromise. Watch this glasses come off again. Andrew could go to tough as nails, bold as brass, brother Simon. And he believes. I taught for 13 years, Bangalore and Pennsylvania, before I came into ministry. So I understand teenage boys. Their favorite period of the day is lunch. Number two is gym. After that, other things take their place. I mean, unless you're a nerd. You know, you have a few let's be real he comes to this kid and says that the Lord is looking for some food Can, would you be willing to give you try that tomorrow and I don't care whatever school you go to the kid will report it to the teacher they'll have you thrown out on your ear with the, with the watchman how did this 
cook, get into the school. This kid, Andrew, man of God, an innocent child, yes, the kid says, yeah, yeah, you can have my lunch. That itself, I'm submitting to you, is a miracle within a miracle. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much. Because of that, 100 rupees worth of lunch, the kid was willing to give all that the kid had. The kid got a personal face-to-face -face interview with Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Listen to me, church. The enemy has many times in our minds, this is the battleground, told us, you are no good. Maybe somebody else told you that. Maybe your dad or your mom or your teacher or somebody at work, a boss told you, you are useless, you're good for nothing, nobody wants you, you never amount to anything. All that boy had was 100 rupees worth of lunch. And because he was willing to give it all to Jesus, and I'm not just talking about your money, I'm talking about your talents, your giftings, whatever God has endowed you with, give it to Jesus. And you know what? He had a personal interview with Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let me share a statement. God can do a lot with a little. God can do a lot with a little. It is precisely when we think too much of ourselves that he is unable to use us. It is precisely when we think too highly of ourselves that he cannot use us. Because then we tend to take the blame. Stop accepting that rejection over your life. Stop accepting those negative words over your life. Lord, I'm only worth little. But what little you've given me, give it back to you. And Jesus will take it and break it and feed. You know, the Bible says 5,000. They usually only counted the men. If you had the women and children, it could have been 11, 12, 14, 15,000. Let's be conservative, 10,000. And the scripture says, after they were fed, there were 12 baskets full left over. One for each disciple bonus. For God can do a lot with it. The first thing Andrew does is bring his brother Simon to Jesus. The second thing he does is bring the lad with a lunch of five loaves and two fish to Jesus. You know, there are people who criticize the Bible. The miracles are not true. One person said, it was no big deal to feed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Because in those days, they used to bake big loaves of bread. And in Israel, they used to catch humongous fish. So with five big loaves and two humongous fish, it was possible to feed everybody. What an insult, Shiloh, to every mother, Amy. What an insult. Imagine that. So Shiloh says to, what's your, you have a young son. He's ready. You done your homework? You ready for school? Yes, mom. Uh, you got your uniform? Yes, mom. Oh, Bridget, darling, come help me with his lunch. And there's a bullock cart there, you know. Loaf number one, dad and mom, he. You get the point. The Bible says about people like this, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. In my tenure, six and a half years of teaching at Bishop Cotton's while your pastor Ashish was my student, we have the short break and lunch break. I don't know if they still have the same schedule. In the short break, we teachers have given a cup of tea. It was mostly half, three quarters water, but complimentary cup. You know, it's India after all. 
Sitting down in the staff room having a cup of tea. Next to me is a gentleman named Peter. Andrew? Peter. Peter Sri Lankan. Uh, my master's in literature, his master's is in physics, so he's a little smarter than me, wouldn't you say? That is, I feel that way, all right? But he knew I'm this flaming red hot Christian, so he wanted to just kuttu me for nothing. Kuttu. In the middle of my cup of tea, he says, You know, Andrew, some of the miracles in the Bible aren't real, you know. I mean, like Moses taking the children of Israel across the Red Sea. You know, the original name of the Red Sea was not Red Sea, it was Reed Sea. That is correct, by the way. That is correct. Historically accurate. Because remember, Moses in the bulrushes, the tall grasses and reeds. It was Reed Sea, called Reed Sea. So, at the narrow passages of the river, Reed Sea, at low tide, the water was only about ankle deep. So it's no big deal for Moses to lead the children of Israel across ankle deep water. Wow, if that's true, then that makes the miracle that our God, the living God, the only true God, performed even more awesome. Because our God then drowned Pharaoh's army and chariots and horses in ankle deep water. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. The psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in the heavens. God says, I've set my word above my name. Not one jot or one tittle of this word will ever pass away. Just a touch on the character of Andrew a little bit. Man of God. Here's something that made me upset when I studied the word. You surprised? Intrigued? Watch this. Jesus had how many disciples altogether? At least four of them were two sets of brothers. James and John and Simon and Andrew. So they're all happy. I mean, you've cut out Judas, then all these made the first 11. Cricket team, in the team. But of the 12, certain key instances, like the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus just took three of them. When he went farther to pray in Gethsemane, he just took three. Name those three for me. Come on, talk to me. Peter, James and John. Who was left out? I was very upset, really upset. <laughs> I thought, I mean, I was starting to steam about it. I thought if I was that Andrew, I would have said, excuse me, Jesus, we need to talk. Sure, Andrew, no, privately, please, in your office. Sit down. Let me tell you something, Jesus. You don't know how to run this, this show. I, that fellow Simon, my brother, good-for-nothing fellow, he was still in the world making his millions, catching fish, machaliwala. He was still fishing. I had quit the job and I had gone to serve John the Baptist, your forerunner. It's the equivalent of saying, I went to theological training in Bible school under John the Baptist. And if it wasn't for me, he'd still be out there making his money in the world. Thanks to me, he is even one of the disciples. Now you have made him supersede me and made him the worship leader of APC. And I've been here from the first time this church started. You have over, you've gone over my head. Pastor Ashish, goodbye. I've had it with you in your church. You know, it's, it's a, a fact of life that we can take an offense for another person. I was to take an offense for Andrew. Then I had to keep studying the scripture. Listen closely, church. There's not one word, not one phrase or one sentence in the entire New Testament where Andrew murmured or grumbled or complained against Jesus. 
So now listen to me church. There is no place for jealousy in the body of Christ. Say that again. There is no place for jealousy in the body of Christ. Either you can say amen or oh me. You understand why Jesus did not change his name? What a man of God. Picture with me if you would on the day of Pentecost. 120 on the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes in. With rushing mighty wind. Tongues of fire on their heads. And who stands up to preach? Peter, his brother. Do you think he was back there like this? Hmm, look at that big mouth brother of mine. Always in the limelight. He's got to shoot the mouth off. He's got to get the glory. You know what the Bible says? They were in one mind, in one place, and one accord. One accord means they were in perfect unity. I'll tell you what he would have been saying. Preach it, Peter. Go for it, man. You're an awesome preacher. Go. Another 475 get saved. And finally, by the end of the encouragement and the worshiping and spirit, 3,000 people received Jesus Christ that day. And the New Testament church was born. There's no place for jealousy in the body of Christ. The third and final thing that Andrew does. What's the first thing he did? He brought his own brother, Simon, to Jesus. Second thing. He brings the lad with a lunch of five loaves and two fish to Jesus. The third thing he does, John chapter 12, if you're turning, just three verses. Verses 20 to 22. And there were certain Greeks among them that came to worship at the feast. The same came to Philip of Bethsaida of Galilee and desired him, saying, see again Philip shows up. Whenever there's Andrew, there's Philip around. And they say to him, to Philip, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip comes and tells Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus these were Greeks well philosophically on top of the charts Socrates, Homer, Plato brilliant minds they even believed in God in the book of Acts the apostle Paul goes to Athens, capital of Greece he sees a stone with the inscription on it saying to the unknown God they believed there was a God but they didn't know who he was now they hear that God has showed up in Israel and his name is Jesus. They make the trip from Athens to Jerusalem. And that's in the days when there was no Air India, no Qantas, no Singapore Airlines. So you had to go part of it by boat, part of it by camel caravan, part of it by foot. They come tired, hungry, probably feet cracked and dry, mouths parched. They come to the gates of the city and say, where is this Jesus? And someone says, you know, there's Phil. He's one of the disciples. Go and ask him. And they come to Philip. Tell me really, wouldn't you consider it a privilege and an honor to meet one of the disciples of Jesus? I'm looking forward to meeting Andrew. But you know what? These men were on a mission. They did not come to meet Phil or Andrew or Thomas or James. They said, sir, I mean, no offense, we didn't come to see you. We want to see Jesus. They were focused. I don't know about Phil. All I, and don't worry if your name is Phil. But I, let's say he was in the maturation process. And he goes and tells Andrew. And Andrew is an expert at one thing. Immediately they go and tell Jesus to bring the Greeks to Jesus. Sir, listen, that is the cry of the unsaved person. The person who's never experienced the love of Jesus. Their heart is crying out. They want to see the real Jesus. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Let me share with you, church, those of us who claim to be Christians and followers of Jesus. Do you know why 
our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues at work haven't yet made that admission of Christ as their Savior? Because they are seeing too much Andrew, too much Mary, too much Joe, too much Susie. John the Baptist got it right when he said, I must decrease. He must increase. Because bluntly put, we are too full of ourselves. We need to be filled with Jesus. Little boy came home from Sunday school and his mother asked him, what did you learn at Sunday school? He said, I'm confused, mommy. She said, why? Because I learned that, that Jesus fills the whole world, the universe. She said, yes, that's true. Then why are you confused? Because then my Sunday school teacher told me he wants to live in my heart, he, but he lives in my heart. She said, that's also true. He said, well then, mommy, if he fills the whole universe, but he lives in my heart, how come he isn't oozing all out of me? You know, I believe that the epitaph on Andrew's tombstone would be Acts 1.8. You say, how so? Before the ascension to heaven, Jesus said to the onlookers and disciples, but you shall receive power. The Greek word for power is dunamis, which means dynamite. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in, what's the fingers of my left hand? Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What is our Jerusalem? Our family. Andrew brought his family member to Jesus. The area of the feeding of the 5,000 that was in the region of Judea and Samaria, Andrew brought the lad with his lunch of five loaves and two fish to Jesus. And the uttermost parts of the earth, Andrew brought the Greeks to Jesus. Andrew's life was a wonderful, awesome, incredible fulfillment of Acts 1.8. What an epitaph to have on our tombstone. Now, when I was 12, in this city of Bangalore, India, was number seven of nine children. Seventh son in succession, my only sister, one more boy. My mother spoke at the table. And she did not say, thus saith the Lord. She did not say, God said. Are you listening to me, church? She said at the dining, it was like a ping pong table with so many kids, so big. She said, I named this boy Andrew so that when he grew up, if some of his brothers had not yet received Christ, he would lead them to Jesus. You talk about a genuine word of prophecy. And today, I consider it my greatest honor and privilege to be able to lead others to the foot of the cross and to accept this awesome Jesus as their Savior. I want to round out with an incredible scripture from the book of Jonah. Benoit. What was the title of the message? What's in a name? In the book of Jonah, Jonah's in the fish's belly. It doesn't really say a whale, just to be technical as a teacher. It may have been a whale, but it's a big fish. You can imagine how he's feeling by the end of the third day. Oh, by the way, for some of us smart Alex and intellectual minds, who say that the Old Testament's a bunch of stories, but I do believe in Jesus. Jesus said, as Jonah was in the fish's belly three days, so also shall the Son of Man. Are you there with me? It was real for Jesus. Just in case you thought you know more than Jesus. Jonah's had three days in the ringer. He's like a wet rag. Finally he starts to repent. And verse 9 of Jonah chapter 2 is the last sentence he speaks before he's ejected into freedom. He says, I will sacrifice unto you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I vowed. In other words, you need to pay your tithes. And then he says this last sentence. Salvation is of the Lord. See, for Jewish people, 
the Lord was what they would say because the name of God is they knew it Jehovah was too sacred for them to pronounce so Jonah said salvation is of the Lord next line Benoit and so the Lord really is the word Jehovah salvation is of Jehovah which means next line Benoit Jehovah saves that's the last thing he said now what's the next and final line Jehovah saves is the exact meaning of the one word and the name Jesus. If you read the Wycliffe Bible commentary, in Matthew 1.21 when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, the angel Gabriel says, And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The minor prophet Jonah didn't even realize that the last word he said was Jesus. And the next verse 10 of Jonah chapter 2 says, And God spake unto the fish. Out! Cough him up right now! I can't handle it. There is such power in the name of Jesus. What's in a name I ask you? What a God we serve. What an awesome God. That name, Jesus, was the trigger. God could not bear it. Cough, cough him up. It has been said that the heart of the Bible is the New Testament. The heart of the New Testament is the Gospels. The heart of the Gospels is John's Gospel. The heart of John's Gospel is John 3.16. Most of us should note by heart from the old King James, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in it should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen. If John 3.16 is a heart of the entire Bible, it comprises of exactly 25 words. When you have an odd number, then there's a median number, which is number 13. Are you with me? Do you know what the 13th word is in that verse? It's the word son. Give his only begotten son. Talk to me, church. What is that name? Jesus is the heart of the entire Bible. He is the heart of God. He is the apple of God's eye. And you and I, when we make Jesus our Savior, we become the apple of His eye. We sang a chorus when I was a younger man. Whoever touches you, touches the apple of my eye. You are the apple of God. God's eye when you receive Jesus as your Savior. We are done teaching the word for this morning. Close your eyes and bow your heads with me, please. Would you rise to your feet with me, please, as we close this morning with a benediction from the word of God. As we stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. Faultless. Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.